Welcome again to another edition of the Green Beach Podcast. This is week 11 of our show. And of course, as you can see, the boys are decked in their colors today for varying reasons. Of course, we will elucidate that as time goes on. AJ, how are you doing, my friend? I'm as well as can be, sir, to be quite honest. Approaching another milestone in life. So, yeah, um, I'm good in, in, in a good mindset and feeling kind of good with some of the things I'm seeing. We'll get into that a bit more. Well, happy birthday. At the time of this airing, it will be your birthday. So happy birthday to you, sir. I am hoping that you have a great time and that you, you know, the Lord continues to bless you with many more years to come. No, no, you're welcome. No, without any further ado, as we are talking about blessings. Now, one of the interesting things that came out of the 2020 to 2021 season, when Cam Newton came over to New England, was that it was announced that Cam had nicknames for pretty much everybody in the entire New England um, facility. And the nickname he had for your head coach, Mr. Bill Belichick, was Dollar Dollar Bill. And Bill has been making it rain this offseason. We have seen unprecedented spending from the Patriots this year. So, AJ, before I get any further, how are you feeling right now about your Patriots? Well, well, you know me, right? I always like to have my expectations tempered, to keep them tempered, rather. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily get all involved and then, you know, end up with heartache. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. But I guess the key term here, the key word here is optimistic. I am, I have, I, I do like what I see. I am a bit optimistic um, that we're, we're moving in the right direction as compared to last season. I, I do like what I see so far, generally. <laughs> I, I don't I didn't like everything. I didn't like everything. And you know that. You know that. But um it 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 feels like Bill actually has a plan. No. And it also feels like he's accepted the fact that he has not done gotten it done during the, uh, in the draft. So instead of like waiting on the draft to come around again to once again let us down by taking the wrong running back from Georgia. And then the wrong receiver from wherever the hell he came from. It, it, it seems like he was like, you know what? Yeah, let me grab the, take the bull by the horns, uh, uh, attack free agency. And I like it. I, I like what he's done so far. I, I still have a few qualms. And you know what that is? I don't, I, I still don't like the wide receiving, uh, the, the wide receiver room. But, but the tight end situation is, is what we should talk about first, right? Because that that is the most like um i guess the most the, the most not pressing but the most glaring of of the upgrades thus far and yeah that that was a pleasant surprise actually um hunter henry i don't i i'm not sure if I, he was one of the names i mentioned i know last time I, I was saying about kyle rudolph or whatever but i also do like hunter henry too right so i was pleasantly surprised with that um john smith i was i i I'm kind of, I was kind of on the fence. I'm like, all right, I feel like he could be a little more productive than he has been, especially knowing last year that 
one of the reasons why his production dropped is because he the Titans started to use him more to to do some blocking and and he wasn't as much involved in the, in the offense. Uh, so after Taylor Luan went down, he became more of a blocking tight end and he wasn't his his target suffered and everything because he had like um so this, in the first five games of the season when Taylor Luan was fit, he had twenty nine targets. And that's including, like, in week six, there was a game when, I don't know what happened in that game, if he wasn't 100%, but he only had two targets in that game and played, like, 29, I think it was, or 39 offensive snaps, which was, like, 29, which was, like, the lowest he had played for the season, right? But still, all in all, 29 targets, first five games. For the remainder of the season, he had, the remainder of the season, after Luan went down, he had 36 targets. So this is in the remaining um, 11 games after that first five, right? Mm -hmm. So... And, and we know, like, in, in, in those first five games, I think he had, as uh, like, five touchdowns as well. Um, he was, you know, he was, he was really, he was really good uh, in, in, in the red zone. He had, uh, also, well, since 2019, um, 10 touchdowns, which is fourth among tight ends, and zero drops. Man seems like he has safe hands. So, in, in all fairness to him, it, it was just that I, I guess I hadn't seen enough and especially knowing that last year, as I said, his production dropped off. I was kind of tentative. I, I, I feel like I'd seen Hunter Henry do a bit more, so I was a little more excited about that. But then the combination of the two, and if you remember, um, so this conversation came up in the chat about, <laughs> it, it seemed like a big shock because, you know, it was like, all right, well, Bill don't really use a two tight end set anymore, though. Not since, you know, the good old days. Um, <laughs> But, but it kind of, well, that, that was a thought that was shared, right? And that, that, that was obviously obviously where my mind went to. So when I saw the Hunter Henry, because that, that would have been earlier Tuesday Tuesday morning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, the first, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yo, we're going back to that, to that Gronk and Hernandez uh, uh, um, type of uh, um, tight end set, right? The two, I mean, yeah, those guys were younger and um, fitter then, but still. My mind went back to that. And then, but the thing is, the reality is as much, it, it wasn't just then, it wasn't like Bill Ashley abandoned that, uh, um, that offensive plan per se, following the, the basically the, the, the dissolving of, of that partnership, right? We still went out and we were trying to get tight ends. If you remember, so <laughs> uh, some of the names, one of the guys that we shared, Michael Humano Anui. I, he 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 went to <laughs> after he left me. He went to I think I, we actually traded him to you for, for I think it was his. We traded him to you for somebody. Can't remember. But yeah, so then there was him, um, who actually spent about three seasons there. Then in like 2015, drafted AJ Derby, gave gave him a, a, a four year contract. Got injured before the season started. Spent the season on IR and then, yeah, no need to go on there. Um, in 2016 is when we ended up with Martellus Bennett. And uh, it was so it, it would have been him and Gronk. Gronk only ended up playing eight games, got injured, um, rest of the season on IR. But you know, Bennett, Bennett was actually uh, he was actually decent in the time he was at us. Won Super Bowl and he left after his year, joined the Packers, but then he ended up coming back after that whole Packers deal didn't work out. Um, yeah, and then like in 2017 again. We traded for Dwayne Allen from Indy. Um, also signed Jacob Hollister, gave him three years. 2019, we drafted Ryan Izzo, signed Matt Lacoste, brought back Ben Watson. And then 
mind you, all of this time, essentially, prior to, to Gronk retiring, so Gronk would have been in, in, the, in the setup. He was in the four all this time, right? So it was, uh, it was like trying to find someone to pair with him. And then after he was gone officially, I guess like in 2019, like I said, Ryan Izzo, Lacoste, I didn't really work out. Last year, Bill Belichick drafted two tight ends. He drafted two. And it, I don't know if you remember, but last year was not a big tight. It, it was not a class that was very big on tight ends. Because one of the, those that we drafted, um, he was fairly low, but he was actually only the second tight end off the board after Cole Komet, Devin Asiasi. And he ended up spending the season on, on IR as well. So it, I think he wanted to go with it's he was kind of setting himself to make a push for this season. And it's absolutely the it's not really a surprise. All right, you sticking up again. Yeah, so I mean, even after Asiasi, it, it, um, yeah, that didn't work out. It was him, and then we drafted Dalton Keene or something like that. Not, I, I, I know you're probably even thinking, who the heck is that? I, I don't even know anything about this guy. I don't know what he did last season. The fact of the matter is, I, I, I think Bill has, even though it may seem like he had taken a different direction, I think Bill always kind of wanted to get back to this. So. I don't feel like it should, should be much of a surprise. And clearly, he put more thought into this, <laughs> these two tight ends than anything else. Because as of now, we have two of the top five um, highest-paid tight ends in the league in these two guys. So this is something he clearly really wants. Uh, we could talk about the wide receiving core, but I'll let you get in before I go, <laughs> before I go on to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what was really, really interesting for me, and I saw this stat come up from Clutch Points on Twitter. They gave this, this thing where it said, in the last 10 years, and you just made mention to it, so it's not like if I'm taking the conversation in a different direction. In the last 10 years, the Patriots spent in free agency $359,886,620. In 10 years, spent $359, call it $360 million. In the first three hours of free agency this year, they spent 146 million. 146 million dollars in free agency in the first three hours. So clearly, Bill Belichick has a different agenda for 2021, 2022. Because I mean, you weren't giving Brady any weapons. Brady just decided I've had enough of this and absconded to Tampa. And you brought in Cam Newton, who is not the pastor that Brady was. So now, of course, they have to spend the money. And as you said, it never really did occur to me that the Patriots were still trying to go with the two tight end set because you had very li limited success with any other tight ends not named Rob, Gronkons Rob, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And there were guys you brought in that should have been able to do something, but unfortunately, Gronk could not stay healthy, so he was out. Then these guys were not performing to the level that you needed. Now, you may mention of um, John o. Smith, and we did speak about John o. Smith last week. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, too, that John o. Smith's numbers fell off 
along with Tillua getting injured. As you said, the Titans were going to use him much more for blocking because they needed to help out the tackles because their star left tackle was out. Unfortunately, John o. Smith is not known necessarily to be a good blocker. So because of that, then he would find himself on the plane because the other tight end, whose name I don't remember right now, was a much better blocker. So for that, from that perspective, it's expected then that if he's not on the field as often, his targets are going to go down. And he did have one or two injuries going into a couple of games, which would have hampered his production. And I remember this because I had him in fantasy on one of my teams. And then it got him. I had him somewhere too, yeah. I he was one of those that you started off the season with and then you had to cut him. Yeah, and because the numbers, the numbers just weren't weren't there. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah, that that was something serious. But we we talk about the tight ends, and as you said, right now you have two of the top paid tight ends in the league. John o. Smith, he has a four-year contract of $50 million and $31.25 million is guaranteed. Uh, Hunter Henry has a three-year, $37.5 million contract, of which $25 million is guaranteed. So only time will tell how good of a value these tight ends are going to be. But if they're fit, you should have good production from the tight end position. However, that now leads us over to the outside, the wide receivers. So, in a season, or in an off-season, where we have the likes of um, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Antonio Brown, I mean, you're not going to do that again, but Sammy Watkins and John Brown and, and others, the first name that comes off the board at wide receiver is Nelson Aguilar, Two years, 26 million. And I'm like, Aguilar? Nelson? Nelson Aguilar? So, AJ, I mean, we don't know. We, we, well, we know that Aguilar doesn't have the best hands in the league. And you just gave that man $26 million. And then you also brought in Kendrick Bourne, who last season was on the San Francisco 49ers. I think he is. He was yeah. with, yeah, he was with the 49ers. And Kendrick Bourne's um, season for 2020 looks like 15 games, 49 receptions, 667 yards. And you just paid that man, but he doesn't even have his contract numbers here. So if you know, you it can. It ain't important. It ain't important. <laughs> <laughs> so AJ will get on with these wide receivers, man, because I, I, I really don't get it. Well, Ken, I don't get it either. That was the one thing. <laughs> that was the one thing I was saying I wasn't too pleased about. Because let me, all right, so let me let me kind of like merge these two topics here now, right? So I mentioned the two tight end set and like going back to the days of, of Gronk and, and Hernandez. The thing about it is, and and I was pretty sure that I wasn't crazy when I was thinking about this. So I decided to do a little research, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they played together for 2010, 11, 12. Those three seasons, right? Now, the, you, know, you know what's the thing about that? Even as, as productive as they were and as great as they were as a, as a tandem, we still had a top receiver in each of those years. We still had a number one receiver. 2010, we had Randy Moss. I'm not going to go into any detail. Like, you, know what, you know what that is. We had Randy Moss then. 2011... Um, 
Wes Welker, career year, 1,569 yards. Obviously, receptions leader in the league, right? And then we still had Dion Branch behind him who had had just a a little over 700 yards. That's still decent product. You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. 2012, um, Brandon Lloyd, 911 yards. This was his second most productive season in his career. And this was two years after he led the league in receiving. And then in that same year, Wes Welker, again, that this is obviously back to back after coming off of his career year, still had another great year, which was actually his second best statistical year in receiving yards with 1354. So the point is, we still had great production from at least one receiver, right? We still had like a, a receiver that 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 still would draw some some coverage. And you know, like still still give you that sort of wide receiver one production. We do not have that. Like, and th- this is what kind of still worries me. So as much as I like this. I like what Bill is trying to do, trying to bring in, like, uh, uh, um, bringing in Nelson Aguilar to work with these guys doesn't fill me with any confidence, none whatsoever. I, I, yeah, we know Hunter Henry and 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 um, John Wu run these short and intermediate. They'll work the, you know, they'll work the, those roles. And then I know if Bill thinking that that Nelson Aguilar would be the deep threat, but I just don't trust this guy. Like you said, his hands aren't the best, and he's not he's not the kind of receiver that's going to give you that kind of production. He's not special. He doesn't make any spectacular players. He's a burner. And if he can run away from, from his coverage, you know, eluded coverage, he, if you drop a dime on him, he would make a catch. No one then. But still, I, I just <laughs> I, I, I just don't trust the fact that Nelson Aguilar is arguably our best receiver right now. Because it, it, it for sure ain't going to be Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne and, and Jacoby Myers even... Though he was showing some upside last year, I guess the fact that Aguilar is a Super Bowl champion and had a decent enough year last year, it, it, on paper he should be the, the the wide receiver one, right? But I don't trust it. I just don't. I really don't. Yeah, I I won't trust it either because even while he was relatively productive when he was down in Vegas last season. Aguilar still had an issue with drops. That has that has been his issue his entire career. A whole Philly fan went viral calling him out on that. And this is since <laughs> I was at Philly. So, I mean, I don't know, boy. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what your way receivers do. I mean, Cam Newton, as we know, he returns to the Patriots. They think he has... A, around $10 to $12 million worth of contract for this season. And that came in after we had recorded last week. So, you know you have a quarterback. He may not necessarily be the starting quarterback when the season starts, but at least you have a quarterback. You have two tight ends that you feel pretty good about. You have two-way receivers. And and then you have some defensive help that's coming in. You have Matt Judon, four years, $56 million. Jalen Mills, four years, $24 million. David Godshaw, two years, $16 million, $9 million guaranteed. And, of course, you have some of the COVID opt-outs from last season coming back. So things are looking up in Beantown. You're, you're getting a competitive roster together for 2021 2022. On, on the defensive side, uh, honestly, the... The Matt Judon signing was the one that excited me the most. I think that's what we need. That's what we need the most help right now. 
honestly. I that that was that was the one that actually had me like, yes, yeah, like, yeah, I I I like this one. I mean, in addition to the the opt-outs coming back, like you said, and then it, the other moves were good moves as well. But I personally was just a lot more excited about Matt Judon. I think I think the guy's quality. I I mean quality enough. You know, I'm saying like the highest tier there is, but mm-hmm. I think he, he can do more than a more than a decent enough job. I like it. Well, I mean, you're getting to put Jalen Mills and you still have um, former uh, defensive player of the year, Stefan Gilmore. So I, I honestly think he's going to be traded, huh? I honestly think he's going to be traded. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not banking on, on him being in next year. I, I, I just, I'm, I can't, I can't see Bill as much as he, he seems to, to, to be planning and, and building. No, I can't see him letting. Gilmore go for free after this year. I, I'm pretty sure he'd try to get something for him. Okay, fair enough. So I think we spent quite a bit of time talking about your Patriots and all this money that you guys have just met out here just <laughs> shutting out the kids you're at the club. <laughs> so let's move on to talk about some other noteworthy things that have happened. Now, we know that the Houston Texans We've spoken at length with regards to their situation with Deshaun Watson and what they could possibly be thinking, not having um, traded him as yet. But they've made a move to at least secure themselves a little bit of cover. And they've brought in Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor comes into Houston. He's a, he has a one-year contract which gives him a base salary of $6 million. And apparently, his contract is full of incentives, which will rise up to potentially $12.5 million if he winds up being the starter. So, do you think this is a good move on the part of Houston? Um, very first thought, very first reaction to that was like, all right, they're planning for life without Deshaun um, in, a, in, in some form or fashion. Uh, not saying that that Tyrell Taylor is the answer. Let's be honest, you, you're not going to readily replace Deshaun Watson um, in, that, in, in, in that manner. But that was the first thing that came to mind. Like, uh, all right, if you're bringing this guy in on the cheap man, then like, as you said, pointed out the incentives that w- that would come out along if if he ends up as a starter. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's a good move. It, it just seems like their hand has or will be forced um, soon enough, and they will have to get rid of Deshaun. And yeah, they just acted. <laughs> it's not the best move, but it's not the worst quarterback move we've seen made so far. So, uh, <laughs> it, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Indeed, it could have been worse. And as you said, it does give them cover if they do decide to move on from Deshaun, which is something that I implore you, Houston, think about it strongly. Make something happen because the man has continually said he is not playing for that franchise again. So it doesn't make sense to continue you know, this foolish posturing, knowing that chances are he's 
probably going to get his way. Now, Tyrod, as I mentioned, he has that $12.5 million contract. And Houston has been busy trying to retool their roster because their roster was not very good last season. And it definitely got worse in this offseason with J.J. Watt leaving. You know, um, Mark Ingram, my former running back, Alvin Kamara's former running mate. He has signed with them a one-year deal that's worth up to $3 million. That includes a $500,000 signing bonus and a $1.5 million base salary. Andrew Roberts, Marcus Cannon, Justin McGray, Justin Britt. He's another um, notable name that comes over to help out the offensive line. Shot Lawson, another notable name coming over in trade from the Dolphins. And then there's a lot of other names that I don't really know that well. I mean, Malik Collins, you've heard his name before. Christian Kirksey. Christian Kirksey is not is not a, a terrible signing either. No, he's not. Think. But, I mean, let's see. This is 3, 6, 9, 12, 13 players that they've brought in so far in this free agency period. And I'm pretty sure that they're not done because, as I just made mention, you still got to figure out what they're going to do with the show. Then um, we have Jacoby Brissett, who was the starter in Indy, then the backup in Indy, and now he is off to Miami. He is going over there with your former player, now coach, and he is potentially going to be a backup to Tua Tango Velo. So if you were Brissett, is this a move that you would have made? That's a good question. Off the bat, I don't see why not. Because uh, if if I'm beset, I'll be realistic with myself and go where I think I could potentially take out the starting quarterback, and that is Miami. It, it doesn't seem as if Tua has like the the extreme vote of confidence from everyone surrounding him, based on what we saw last season with. <laughs> him not being even able to, to like, um, get a firm grasp on the team himself. You know, like, having pick Patrick come in to bail him out when, when, when the, the going got rough. It, it, it seemed like the kind of situation where Jacoby would be like, all right, I could walk in, perform, get this job. So if I were him, yeah, I would do the same thing. I, I, I don't see necessarily it being as a bad move. Um, it being a bad move, sorry, yeah. And he, he clearly, clearly was not going to be the guy uh, um, in, in Indy. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good move for him. Again, he could have done worse, but I, I think in this situation, yeah, if you go somewhere where you potentially have um, the, the ability to, to work and take out the starter, by all means, that's, that, that everybody might just want to play, so why not? Now, my thing about this, where Jacoby Brissett is concerned, now his contract with them is one year, $5 million, right? So, at one year, $5 million, anything is possible. Is a low-risk move on the part of the Dolphins. And as you said, if he comes in and he does well, there is a potential that he could take out Tua for that position. He's 28 years old. Now, if I'm Tua, I'm a little less happy about this than it was having Fitzpatrick behind me. Because, you know, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick is a guy that gets hot for a few weeks, then he cools all the way off, and you will get right back in there. On the other hand, 
if Jacoby comes in and he plays well from the beginning, it's going to put you, you know, in a tough spot. And I can't see that Jacoby is going to be the relief pitcher that Ryan Fitzpatrick was last season. So if this is kind of like his time now to really put up or, and show up, or he'll be shipped out. It's a little early still. I mean, this is still, this is just his, what, second year in the league? So we are not at the point where we, we can label him a bust. But at the same time, he needs to show a lot better this season than he did last season. And speaking of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick is off to your town, Washington. He is now a member of the Washington football team. So, AJ, tell me about Fitzpatrick, man. What do you think? Uh, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the plan is. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about this last week. And... Yeah, you weren't too keen on them letting go Alex Smith. And I was saying, I kind of I kind of understood it. It just felt like that season coming back off the injury, everything was supposed to be like a swan song. But if you're telling me, uh, like, the answer is Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, <laughs> so they already signed, <laughs> they already signed, they, they signed up Heineke, and now you're going to get Fitzpatrick. And they don't, Washington don't have a high draft pick, do they? Well, they won the division, so... That draft pick isn't going to be that great. So I, 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 at this point, I'm not even sure that I can assume that they're looking to to still um, go after QB the draft. But uh, like you pointed out this week, this is the same organization. Like this organization has they just they just haven't filled anyone with confidence. This is the same same guys that they, didn't they take two QBs in one draft? Yeah. So yeah, you never you never know what they up to, you know. You never know what they really have to. That's the honest truth. So, uh. well, I mean, Taylor Heineke, he did show pretty well in the in the one playoff game that he played. So maybe you no, know, we know that Fitzpatrick, his contract is one year, ten million dollars. It's like a whole lot of one year contracts have been handed out this offseason. Off so he has one year, ten million, with a max value of twelve million dollars. The expectation is because you know he is the veteran that he will be more than likely the week one starter with Heineke as the backup. But as we go through training camp and everything, you know that could always change because we don't know which version of Ryan Fitzpatrick will turn up from minute to minute, let alone week to week. So. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. And, of course, another big name, the relatively big name that was on the move, Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton has pitched up now in Chicago. One year, $10 million with a max value of $13 million. Uh, I'll start this one. I don't know what Chicago's doing. And I don't think Chicago knows what Chicago is doing. Chicago, the city, has to be very upset with the Chicago Bears because they, I, I honestly, AJ, I just do not get it. So as of this taping, we have no idea what is happening 
with their former, I got to call him former, no, because we still, he, right now he's not under contract, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky. We don't know what is happening with him. Chicago has not, well, I guess by not picking up his extension, they've made a decision. I know they've brought in Andy Dalton on a one-year contract. Andy Dalton, who they said, <laughs> Andy Dalton has been described as the Mendoza line of quarterbacks. If you have a quarterback that is better than Dalton, you have a quarterback. If you have a quarterback that's worse than Dalton, you don't have a quarterback. He is the line of demarcation between if you have or you don't have. And last season, he was below his own line because Dallas, when uh, Doc went down, it seemed like if they didn't have a quarterback. So no, come in, you go ahead. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so like you, I, I am completely and utterly baffled. I'm confused. I'm perplexed. I'm everything. And if, 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 Ken, if I was a Bears fan, I would be apoplectic. I do not understand what the Bears are doing. And the thing is, I, I usually like to be fair. So when I see organizations making these types of moves... No, no, I'm I'm not um, executive personnel or anything like that, but I at least try to to put myself in, in the situation of, of the guys up top and think like why would why would you potentially want to make this move, right? I can't for the life of me figure out what it is the Bears really trying to do here with Sandy Andy Dalton. I, I I honestly don't know because it's not like you're telling me Dalton is gonna sign Andy Dalton to potentially trade him or I a, a, a little part of me wants to believe that is the case, but even even that is not an overwhelming part. So I, I really don't know. I don't understand, and I can't help you with this one. I'm just as confused as you are, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just glad it, I, I'm not a Bears fan. That's that's the honest truth. That, that is the honest truth. But I mean, as you said, you like to be fair, and so do I. The Bears do not have faith in Trubisky. That was evident. evident. That much is evident. Yeah. So they need to find a quarterback. The entire, well, not the entire, but within the last few weeks, we've been hearing lots of chatter that the Bears were going to try to make a trade for Russell Wilson to get him out of Seattle. And Seattle has been steadfast that they are not moving Russ. Russ himself is not actually come out and made a trade demand. Therefore, we can take it on pretty good authority that at this point, Russ is going to be starting in Seattle next season. But you know they say, you know they always say you should never put all your eggs in one basket. Because if that one basket following you know, on chances are all your eggs just skin up. It seems to me, it seems to me that Chicago has put all of their eggs, not even in their own basket, but somebody else's. And they're expecting or hoping that, you know, Russ would decide that he's going to want to leave. And of all places, he'll want to come in Chicago. So, then you... so <laughs> just a few hours before this transaction would have taken place was finalized. Adam Rank of the NFL Network, you know, fantasy analyst and whatnot, Pretty funny dude. Um, big Bears fan, right? <laughs> he tweeted 
The bears feel like the character in a rom-com holding out for the unobtainable person, only to ultimately be left with nobody. Let me tell you, the man hit the mark there. And hours later, his team signs Andy Dalton after being linked with Russell Wilson for the entirety of the offseason. You, you can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. No, you can't. No, you can't. And they are still in the same division as the Vikings, who are better than them. But we don't know what Detroit is going to look like because except for biting kneecaps, there's not exactly a whole lot of stuff coming out from them. And then <laughs> the cream, the creme de la creme is the Green Bay Packers, who, of course, they have some work to do of their own to try to make sure their roster is going to be back to what it should have been. But we know that Aaron Jones is coming back to Green Bay. Aaron Jones has a four-year, $48 million contract, which had a $13 million signing bonus. Of course, as we have spoken about all the time, signing bonuses are just some of the creative accounting that it get to spread that cap hit into the late years. So I know Aaron Jones is one of your favorite players. How do you feel about this contract for him heading back to Green Bay? Um, so Jones is, I think Jones is like late twenties. So this is essentially like his last, his last big contract. Um, right. So honestly, I like it for him. You know, I like, I like the situation for him. Um, I genuinely did not expect it though. When, when, when I saw, well, when it was confirmed that, yeah, he would be hitting free agency. I was like, all right, cool. Let me see where he ends up. Even even the thought of him going back to, um, going back to, I, I didn't expect it to be on this kind of deal. I really didn't. I thought it would have been some, um, some lessened fee. It'll try to get him on some kind of deal. Um, thing I, I think Green Bay is trying to keep their band together essentially. And for Aaron Jones, you know how the running back market usually is. So I'm happy the guy's getting some money. I don't like, I'm watching men pockets in a negative sense. Uh, he, he has been coming along. He has, and, 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 um, to be honest, yeah, I, I think he, he's deserved it. Uh, in, in, given the context of what he's done for Green Bay, I, I ain't going to tell you that Aaron Jones is like a top three or anything like that. But in, in terms of the team, yeah, already familiar with the team. I think he's done a lot. And then I know you're okay. Your guy is going to be moving on. Jamal, uh, but um, they drafted Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon showed some promise, so they have that um, that tandem to work with. I think Green Bay made a good move. I like it for Aaron Jones. Um, let's see how it is going forward. I hope he doesn't get the running back contract curse. I hope he doesn't get that curse, but in, in the grand scheme of things, no, looking at it uh, at this point, I like it. Well, I think it's very good for him because the one thing that running backs don't usually have a lot of is job security. And the fact that they've committed to him for four years, I mean, so far we haven't heard anything about voidable years. So it seems like if it's an actual four-year contract, he has had a bit of usage. He did run the ball quite a lot, especially the last two years. So that is always going to be a concern. But 
he has been productive for pretty much the entire time that he has been with Green Bay. And for him, this is a great deal because if the Packers had decided that they were going to franchise tag him, he would have probably only counted the eight or nine million dollars to the cap. And then playing on a one-year contract and then having to figure out after a full year of usage where they'll be like, well, probably week four, week five, they'll be still having conversations of do we keep him? Do we want him to come back? Or are we going to be looking in another direction for next season? If they made the decisions, let's say week six, that they're going to be going another direction, then they would use him up. They would run him into the ground where then his value is absolute trash. So for him, this is probably the best of all of all possible outcomes. He has some stability. He knows he has a four-year contract. And we'll see where things go. Now I saw the look on your face. Did something Yeah, I just I just this is like breaking news from Adam Schefter. Um, the Bills and Emmanuel Sanders reach an agreement on a one-year $6 million deal and includes another 500 k incentives. So, Joshy Boy has another weapon. Good for him. <laughs> I know you weren't too pleased. I know you weren't too pleased with, with, with um, Sanders being released from your team, but uh, ooh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, there's been a lot of that um, recently. The cap, this situation with the cap has been particularly painful. I'm glad for him that he's gone to a team with a quarterback that will never throw the ball and he would he would get some good opportunities. That's great for him. Just like Janoris Jenkins replacing Adore Jackson in Tennessee because Tennessee has decided that, you know, Jackson has not lived up to his number seven draft position. And he's 25 years old, so they decided they wanted to move on from him. They brought in Jenkins, who is 32 years old. That also was particularly painful because Jenkins was, he was a stabilizing influence on my outside corner position because everybody outside of Marshall and Lattimore just can't stop holding. So I'm happy that these guys are getting, you know, some some good deals and some play elsewhere. It just breaks my heart that they had to leave because our cap situation is... When they wanted to leave, they get him to leave, but then followed by some others too, huh? Yeah. You know who it is. They can't get attached here. Yeah, that that (laughs) is always the problem. And then I think one other name that we could bring up, we mentioned him a couple of times on this pod already, and that is Mr. Vaughn Miller, who here at the Denver Broncos, he they have decided to pick up his $7 million option, of which he can have up to $18 million in salary for the 2021 season. Now, when we mentioned this, if not last week, it would have been the week before, it would have been when we talked about the um, supposed charges that he was going to be facing from the Aurora, not Aurora, the Parker Police Department, which they have announced that there are no charges coming. I said that was great for him because that you know, gives him a stronger position to negotiate if he's going to come back or not. There was a lot of talk of if he would come back, if he wanted to come back, if Denver wanted him back, or if they wanted to go in another direction. 
Seems all hands have decided to shake and say, hey, everyone, come on back for one more year. It remains to be seen how good he's going to be because, of course, you know, he did tear a ligament in his ankle before the season started, but he's had more than a year of rehab, or he will have had a full year of rehab by the time training camp starts. He is expected to make a full recovery. So let's hope for good things for him, especially then to set himself up for free agency next offseason. Yeah, I mean, not much to add there. I, I, I always expected this one to, to work out in some way, shape, or form. Because like you said, we, we, so we mentioned this before, and um, the fact that they didn't, that the Broncos didn't just up and cut him and they were waiting to see what happened, it meant that they always wanted to work something out and bring him back, at least for this year. So, yeah, not surprised that, that they came to a conclusion and then yeah, deal with everything else in the future. I guess see what what. Um, he looks like coming back off of the injury and then you walk away from there. It is true. Now, one team that has, I guess, re-signing key players is just as important as, you know, bringing in new blood if necessary. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have done pretty much whatever they can to keep the band together. We know Tom Brady, he has restructured his contract and added a couple of avoidable years on there to help them, you know, smooth that cap situation over. Chris Godwin, he's received a franchise tag. Gronk resigned one year with an $8 million deal worth up to 10. Shot Barrett, he got four years, $68 million. That is $36 million fully guaranteed. Devontae David, the other standout linebacker, he has received $25 million on a two-year deal. And it has three voidable years to help spread out his cap hit. And then Kevin Minter, he has resigned on a one-year contract. So I know um, when they had the press conference, well, not press conference, the trophy parade after winning the Super Bowl, we heard the head coach, Bruce Arians, say that, you know, they're not on that run-it-back BS because that's a Kansas City thing. They're going for two. But it seems like if they're doing their best to run it back because they're trying to bring back as much of that team as possible. So do you think, based on what we've seen so far, with obviously a lot more to come, what do you think the outlook is for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if they are able to return pretty much the entire team that played in this 2020 season? Well, I'm... You might not want to hear this, right? But they have to be considered favorites. They have to be considered even even ahead, even ahead of your second team and the, the previous champions, the, the incumbent champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. They have to be considered at this point the favorites. Like if, if they especially given that that Tom is going to have a, like finally an offseason with the offense, they were able to get everybody back on the defense, it seems. He has all of his weapons so far. Well, I mean, um AB is probably like the only outlier so far. But but all things considered, essentially everyone else is back on the offense, and they they made sure to to sign everyone on the bring everyone back on the defense, sign them up, them and them are ready to go. I like, I it, it can't be anything else after what happened last year, well last season, sorry this year, after what happened, there's no way that it could be anything less than them being favorites going into next season. Nothing less at all. I. 
Hey, you see what colors I'm wearing, right? You know, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it at all. I, I, just let me say it. Let me say it for you. Let me say it for you. You know it too. You know it. You search for it in your heart. You know it never, to be true. I am never going to sit here and say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are favorites for anything. Anything. This is a, this is sad. This is sad. But no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. This season was exceptional circumstance, and they did a fantastic job, and they won the Super Bowl. Great stuff. Good for you. However, 2021 is a different year, right? Now, I will admit that the one game that they beat the Saints this past season was the most important one. They needed to win in the playoffs, and they won in the playoffs. They went and they won the Super Bowl. Good job. Glad for you. However, as much as they're Super Bowl champions, they're still not the leaders in the South. And until I have seen what this offseason, how this offseason falls, how everything goes, even with all of the bleeding that my team is doing, I still believe, as almost NFL teams do, your first job is to win the division. And I am looking for my Saints to be credible in the division and, and make a showing to win the division. When we, get to this, when we get to the playoffs, we see what happens there. I, You can call it whatever you want. It could, you can say that I'm hitting or whatever. I do not care. I am not putting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, regardless of how many of their players they bring back. I am sorry. It is not <laughs> going to happen. Oh my God, this is, this, this is really hurting me. This is hurting me, Ken. It's hurting me because I know, I know that, that you just can't form your mouth to let these words come out, right? But you're thinking it. You're thinking it. Don't worry. I'll say it to you. I'll say, I'll say it for you. Sorry. I'll no. say it to the people for you. Ken knows no. it, everyone. He no. knows it. The nope. Bucks have taken over nope. the division, and he's not going to admit nope. it. But nope. I will say, I can. I, he's right here. He's right here. I have him right here. I have him right here. Don't worry. He knows it. He knows it. He knows it. Until until my sins are defrauded from the self, I will sit here and say that I am backing my sins for the division, and we'll see what happens when we reach the playoffs. You know what, bro? Vaya con Dios. Me amigo. Yeah, I am not. I am not going to be sitting here and putting any sort. I'm giving them all of the respect that they are due as the defending champions. They deserve it. They deserve every bit of it. However, I am not putting them anywhere further than that until they show me otherwise. Okay. Well, well <laughs> I, I don't have anything more to say there. <laughs> I don't have a thing more to say there. Okay. Good. We will see what happens as time goes on. And like I said, if we right now it's still early days. It's still early days in the in the um, off season. We do not know what the rest of the off season is going to look like. 
I know the Saints are still doing work to try to get under, well, not to get under because they are under the salary cap now. They have restructured enough deals that we had a little bit of money to spend. And we were able then to go and bring back Jameis Winston. Um, he has an opportunity to get up to $12.5 million. Um, he has a $5.5 million um, deal that includes $4.5 million signing bonus. And his salary is $1 million for this year. And <clears throat> I know that not all of my Saints fans are as excited as they would have been with uh, Jameis being the potential starter and more on that in a little bit. But I am, I am not as nervous as others because after Jameis, after Jameis has sat down behind Drew Brees for a year and he's been working with Sean Payton for a year, if he has not learned anything, if Jameis Winston cannot beat Taysom Hill to be the starter for the Saints next season, then Jameis Winston deserves to retire because he, if he can't start this season, he will not start another season anywhere in the NFL. And this is Jameis a year, well, this will be two years now removed from throwing for 5,000 yards and having over 30 touchdowns. If he cleans up those 30 interceptions, Jameis can be a top 10 quarterback in the league, in my opinion. We just He just needs to show it now, heading into this new season. You know, I'm not so... I, have, I haven't been so on Jameis for a while. I think, I, I, like you just pointed out, he's, he, he's productive. He has been productive. To have a 5,000-yard season is no joke, but then at the same time, even with those 30 um, touchdowns, yeah, like 30, 30 INTs too, obviously not all of them are going to be his fault, but I just, I, it, I find it very hard to believe that players are all of a sudden going to overcome um, issues such as decision-making. If, if, if he's been in, this, in the league this long and he was still making decisions, bad decisions up to the time uh, he ended up being released. I just don't feel he's going to get over it, but I'll wait to be proven wrong. I mean, that's that's pretty much all we can do. He's on my roster, and I don't know if you remember, but last season, when Jameis was released from Tampa and Teddy had gone over to Carolina, the first thing I said was, Jameis is going to end up at me and I don't want him. I do remember that. I do remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> but he, he's here now. So, I mean, he was here then. I wanted to see what he would have done in 2020, 2021, but we decided that we wanted to give TSM Hill an extended audition. That extended audition didn't fill us with you know, too much optimism. Yes, he can run the ball. Yes, he's great for gadget plays. But Taysom Hill, when it comes to throwing the ball, well, he's not even James Winston. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, so I think here's yeah, a good since time. We, yeah, I, yeah, I was just about to say since we... We were kind of um, let's not segue away from your team. Uh, as as we're talking about Jameis Winston, we could talk about his um, 
predecessor and you had your final thoughts. So I'm not, I'm going to let you have your moment right now. I'm not going to say anything too much in terms of, you know, I'm not going to, to pick apart the guy right now. This is, this is a different time. And I want you to, uh, you, because this is your guy, I, I still respect him as, as, as a player, but I want you to be able to pay homage to your guy in, 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 in a celebratory enough fashion, a good enough fashion. So I'll, I'll, I'll sit back and this is your segment. This is your time. Do your thing, sir. Do your thing. Thank you. No, as a sports fan, there are times, there are difficult moments where our favorite players tend to, you know, the, the, the age, Father Time is undefeated, even if Tom Brady doesn't think so. And sooner or later, they do have to move off the stage and allow someone else to continue. This is the third, I think is the third player that I have found myself in this position with in my fandom, especially as an adult. The first one was Thierry Henry when he retired. By that time, he had already left Arsenal. He had gone to Barcelona, won the Spanish League, won the Champions League. I was really happy that he was able to do that. Then he came over here to the New York Red Bulls and he retired as a member of the Red Bulls. And it hurt a bit knowing that my favorite footballer of all time was done. He was not, I'm not going to see him, you know, lace him up and, and do the wonders that he had done in the past. Then it was Kobe Bryant when Kobe retired when, you know, Mamba out dropping 60 in his last game. I couldn't even watch the game. It was, it was that difficult and to have looked back, like I watched the pregame and the postgame stuff after, you know, I saw the highlights and stuff and I was watching it and tears were streaming down my face because as a basketballer, as, a, as an athlete, you know, Kobe was that guy for me. And well, I didn't get as emotional because we did see some fall off in his play over the last couple of seasons. And we, we knew that this day was going to come. And especially with the injuries that he's had over the last couple of years, we knew that Drew sooner or later was going to retire. So with that in mind, it was like, what is what is going to happen? And now we know well Jameis is going to most likely be the starter him. TNT is going to have to, to work this out. But we say farewell to Drew Brees. We had conversations early in the season, well, in the playoffs, where I said that he was not going to eulogize him until he was actually gone. And on Sunday, Exactly 15 years to the day after he had announced that he was signing for the Saints, his children, I mean, it was beautiful, announced on his behalf that he was retiring. So when you hear a lot of the conversations about Drew Brees, one of the things that a lot of people like to point at is that Drew Brees has never won an MVP in his entire career. He has... No, he won one Super Bowl. He has 
the Super Bowl MVP, but he's never won a regular season MVP. One of the conversations that people often have now is that to say that he's been playing with Sean Payton for the majority of his career, and therefore he should have done a whole lot better. I can't necessarily disagree because Sean Payton has a reputation as an offensive genius that he's earned. And there are times when we really should have done better and the Saints as an organization let down Drew Brees by not putting a winning franchise, winning team around him. Now, Brees was drafted in 2001 and then he started for San Diego, the Chargers, from 2002 to 2005. During that time, his combined record for the Chargers was 30 and 34. He had one season where they went 11 and 4. In 2003, they went 2 and 9, but he went 2 and 9 as the starter. So he had, I mean, I guess you could say it was a mixed bag while he was there. He was 62.2% um, for his accuracy. He had 12,348 yards and 80 touchdowns while he was there. Then he had that bad shoulder injury. And when he got that shoulder injury, the Chargers then decided, well, hey, we are not going to bring him back because we don't know what his shoulder is going to look like. Drew Brees has never had a cannon from the arm. He's been a very good deep passer, but, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that is going to rocket the ball 70 yards down the field. And they decided that they wanted to keep Philip Rivers instead of keeping Drew. And then Drew was released and he ended up in New Orleans. He came to New Orleans the same year after Katrina hit. And if you had seen any of the videos, the fantastic tributes that the Saints have been putting up on Instagram, one of them, they showed him when he, he was talking about when they have first, he and his wife had first come to New Orleans to be interviewed. I'm hoping that you can't hear this noise in the background. We've had a snowstorm here um, over this last weekend, and apparently the plows are plowing the driveway. So, no, you're good. I can't hear anything. Okay, good. All right. So, Drew said that when they were doing, when they were giving him the tour of the city, you know, they were trying, it seemed to him that they were trying to find the best places in the city to show him because the majority of the city had been destroyed by Katrina. He said that at one point in time, Sean Payton, who had only gotten there one month before, they were going to, like, they, they got lost. They were making, a, they made a wrong turn and they had to stop because the tugboat was just sitting in the middle of the street. And he and his wife said that they recognized that it was not just about football for them coming to New Orleans, that it was more about giving hope to the city, being able to get that get the city back on its feet and in terms of an ambassador for the game and an ambassador for new orleans drew Brees has been fantastic it has not been without some areas of controversy because when we had the situation with colin kaepernick and, and kneeling during the playing of the national anthem Drew Brees was asked about it, and he said that for him, everyone should stand for the anthem with their hand over their heart. 
because of the deference it shows to the military and all of that other stuff. I was disappointed because I knew that Drew, for all of his stuff, all the work that he had done in New Orleans, in New Orleans being a predominantly black city in the United States, that I thought that he would have understood where this whole um, situation was coming from. He clearly did not. What disappointed me even further was when the conversation came up again and it was, I think, um, I struggle to remember if it was at the beginning of this season or the beginning of last season, but then he comes back all of these years later and he makes the same exact comment that he, you know, he will still never support anyone doing anything other than standing for the anthem. And I was, that one hurt me significantly because if you had that position all those years ago, I would like to think that by now you would have come to a different understanding. And it was only after he made that comment, after he had some conversations and he talked to people and he, you know, he spoke to like Malcolm Jenkins and others, he then understood what the whole kneeling thing was all about. And he, he changed his tune and he continued with his philanthropic efforts within the city of New Orleans to make things better, not just for people that look like him, but people that look like me and others. And it is one thing for someone to make a mistake, but when you then go out as far as he has done in the past to make amends for it, then that is something that needs to be um, factored in and it needs to be considered. Drew Brees was um, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and that is an honor that every player in the NFL, especially those who are engaged in the community, is something that they always want. And I am I am sure that that is going to add to his legacy. Now, I saw conversations where they talked about where does Drew Brees fall in the pantheon of quarterbacks and if he believes, if he belongs, sorry, in the level of the elite elite or if he's in a level below that. AJ and I have had many conversations talking about Breeze and he knows where I stand and I'll put it out there now for everybody to hear. Drew Breeze, as far as I'm concerned, belongs in the uppermost echelon of quarterbacks. That, for me, cannot be denied. When Drew Breeze came to New Orleans, New Orleans was not a good franchise they had not been productive. They had not won anything. They had not. They had been pretty much either third or fourth in the division for the majority of their existence. And Drew came and made New Orleans a winner. It's not to say that they won every season, but when you look at his record as a quarterback, he was 142 wins to 86 losses. That is even during the times when they had a god-awful defense. That defense ruined many years of Drew Brees' career. There was a time when we were hearing talk about how Sean Payton was Mr. 7-9 and nine because we finished 7-9 and nine a few times. And when that happened... I mean, there were even talk about maybe Sean Payton should be fired, etc. But Sean Payton has been great, and Drew himself has been great. Now, as I mentioned, 
Drew Brees has had 5,000 passing yard seasons, and he has the most in NFL history. In the NFL, only 12 times has a quarterback passed for 5,000 yards. Drew Brees has almost half of them. Five seasons, he has passed for over 5,000 yards. The first season that he did it, let me just make sure that I quote this correctly. The first season that Drew Brees passed for 5,000 yards was 2008. He played all 16 games. The Saints finished 8-8. Eight and eight. In 2008, Peyton Manning was the MVP. And Peyton Manning was the MVP that year. And I have it, I think I have it written down here. Um, well, actually, I don't have that one. But in, from 2011 to 2013, Drew Brees passed for 5,000 yards every single year. He was the offensive player of the year in 2011 when he threw for those 5,000 yards. But Aaron Rodgers was the MVP of that season. As I said, that was 2011. The Saints finished that season 13-3. and three. The Packers finished 15-1. and one. So even though he had a fantastic season and the Saints had a great season, Rodgers got the MVP because Green Bay would have been the number one seed that year. In 2012, he also went over 5,000 yards, but Adrian Peterson got the MVP. Adrian Peterson having then set the NFL rushing record that season with 2,097 rushing yards. And as far as I can remember, off the top of my head, not many, if like, probably two running backs that topped that 2,000-yard level at that point. So he got the MVP. And the Saints, I think, in that season, they finished that year 11-5. and five. So if they go 11-5, and five, even though Drew Brees himself has been excellent, there is no way. Sorry, 2012, we finished 7-9 and nine with an abysmal defense, though there's no way that even though he had 5,000 yards, that he could have gotten the MVP. But this is the point. This is the greater point that I'm making here. If it were not for Breeze's performances in those seasons, because in 2013, he also went over 5,000, but Peyton Manning, he got MVP because he set the record at that point for the most passing yards in the season with 5,477 yards. Denver was 13-3. and New Orleans was 11-5. and When you look at a player's stats, especially in the NFL, it's not like basketball where one player can do so much and he can carry his team to the pinnacle or he can carry his team as far as he himself can take them because maybe he's a great defensive stopper or he can he's great at scoring the ball. In the NFL, his offense, his defense, his special teams. And the Saints, for a long time after they won the Super Bowl, had an abysmal defense, and Drew Brees was the only thing that kept them relevant. I posit that if Drew Brees was playing for another franchise, if he was playing in a bigger market, there would have been much more attention paid to what he was doing. But the only time that the Saints would get on national television was when they were talking about Bontigate, or when we got into the playoffs and we got beat. So... It is difficult 
for me, when I hear people talk about what Drew Brees has done as a player and his legacy, but the numbers don't lie. Drew Brees is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. Drew Brees, as I just mentioned, has right now he has the most yards in NFL history. He is second in touchdowns in NFL history. And he's second to Tom Brady. And he was probably end up being second to Tom Brady in yards because Brady's playing this season and Drew is done. But Drew Brees, his legacy, his greatness is not in question. Regardless of how you think or what you think about the Saints, and especially those seven and nine years, eight and eight, the year after Bounty Gate, where Sean Payton was out. When you look at his numbers, not just with Payton, but without Payton, especially even before he came to New Orleans, Drew Brees is an all-time great, and I will miss him. Even if the last couple of years have not been the greatest. To Drew, I have not been in New Orleans, but I could see how much the city cared for you and how much they love you. I'm sorry that I never got an opportunity to come and see you play at any point. I mean, this season when you were coming to my high, we had COVID, so I couldn't even get to the game. But for the football fan in me, the child that still looks up to his heroes, I thank you for everything that you've done throughout your entire NFL career. And we wish you the very best going forward. I'm not going to add anything else. You know, farewell. Farewell to an all-time great. Yes, indeed. All right, folks. So before I start tearing up, this is the end of another Green Beige podcast. That is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. This has been another great episode. Thank you for your time, and we will see you next time.